Homily for the Solemnity of Christmas December 25, 2020 St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks We begin with a message from our dear Bishop. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Merry Christmas. This annual celebration of our Lord's birth reminds us once again of the unfailing love of God, who sent his own Son as our Savior. At Bethlehem, Jesus became little and humble for us, so that we might come to know him and be one with him in time and in eternity. In the midst of the many challenges we have faced this year, we have great hope, because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come to dwell with us and remains with us still. In this year of St. Joseph, called for by our Holy Father, we turn also to the beloved foster father of Jesus, who quietly stands over him at the manger. May St. Joseph protect and intercede for us, and lead us always to Jesus, his Lord and ours. This Christmas I pray that you and all your loved ones may experience the comfort and joy of Christ's presence in your lives. Be assured of a special remembrance in my prayers, and especially at the Mass of our Lord's birth. May God bless you and keep you in his love. Sincerely yours in Christ, Bishop John Folda. Thank you, Bishop Folda. Be assured of our prayers for you as well. It was early one Christmas morning here at St. Mary's many years ago, and Monsignor Boyle, one of my predecessors, was beside himself. Our beautiful figurine of the baby Jesus lying in the manger was missing. What had happened? The previous evening, the Murphy family had placed the baby Jesus in the crib as part of the procession, but now he was gone. Monsignor asked around in case anyone knew what happened to the statue, but no one had any idea. He even called the police station, but there was no report of a break-in at the church overnight. Monsignor Boyle had no choice but to celebrate the Christmas morning Mass without the statue. What would people think of seeing the creche all set up and no baby Jesus inside? He started vesting and preparing for Mass when he heard a peculiar creaking noise. Coming out of the sacristy, he saw little Johnny, the youngest of the Murphy boys, pulling a little red wagon up the center aisle, and the figurine of Jesus was his passenger. Monsignor Boyle said to the young man, Johnny, did you take the baby Jesus statue? Yes, Father. I had to take him for a ride. Monsignor asked him why he would do such a thing, and Johnny told him, Well, I prayed to Jesus all Advent, asking for a red wagon, and when it came, I knew he had to be the first to ride in it. Little Johnny made a promise to Jesus and was determined to make good on that promise. On Christmas, the church tells us how God kept his promise to the world by sending Jesus, and how we as followers of Christ must keep our Advent promise and welcome, in some way, the newborn King of the Jews. The hundreds of pages in the Old Testament, as well as the sagas of the nation of Israel, all lead up to their fulfillment in the birth of Jesus. We who by faith recognize this, no matter what our ethnic heritage happens to be, celebrate this day, knowing that the gift is for us as much as for anyone else. 
We are all familiar with many of the details behind today's solemnity, but there's so much more to the Christmas story than meets the eye. These are the things I like to point out that really add to our celebration. First of all, we know that Mary and Joseph had to travel to the town of Bethlehem, a nearly 70-mile trip, because the rules of the census required them to participate in Joseph's ancestral hometown. But did you know that the name Bethlehem literally means in Hebrew, house of bread? Maybe it came to be known for its high-end bakeries, I don't know, but Jesus would later teach that he himself was the living bread come down from heaven, and that whoever would eat this bread would live forever. Moreover, the baby Jesus was placed in a manger because there was no crib or bed in the stable. Seeing him lying in a feed trough is another reminder that the Son of God would himself become our food and drink in the Eucharist. We know that there was no room for Mary and Joseph at the inn, since Bethlehem was teeming with other guests needing to fulfill the census requirements. The stable was the only makeshift shelter available, at a time when buildings were expensive and in short supply. The terrain around Bethlehem is rocky and hilly. The stable, where Mary and Joseph had the baby Jesus, would actually have been a cave gouged out of a hillside, providing partial cover from the wind and the rain. The physical features of that stable closely resembled what the people of that time would use for tombs. It should be evident to us that the grave in which Jesus was laid on Good Friday looked very much like the place where he was born. And when we are told that Mary wrapped her baby in swaddling clothes, this was all they had. Rather than snuggling in a soft blanket to keep warm, the baby Jesus would have looked rather like a little mummy with coarse strips of cloth wound around his body. These are just some of the signs at Christ's birth that foreshadowed his sacrificial death for our salvation. We then hear about the angels visiting a group of shepherds nearby, singing glory to God in the highest. That would have been a sight they would never forget. These shepherds worked the graveyard shift to protect the sheep from bandits and predators. Other townspeople would often keep their distance from the shepherds, who carried on their bodies the pungent odor of the sheep, and they would look down upon them as shady characters. But it was these guys, not the town mayor, not the rabbi, who were the first to come to the stable and pay homage to the newborn king. In his own ministry, Jesus would live in solidarity with the poor, and many times would have no place to lay his head, relying on alms to meet his daily needs. He would be at home among rich and poor alike, not favoring one or the other, but preaching the gospel to all who would receive it. Christmas feels different for all of us this year, I'm sure. I wish we could make every pew available for all who want to be here, and we know we will be able to do so again. Our flock has been scattered by a dangerous virus, as has every other church congregation. We have not had to return to a lockdown, thank goodness, but numerous other states have chosen to do so. 
Along with many other pastors, I have been visualizing what it will look like to resume all the ins and outs of parish life that we have needed to suspend from back last spring. The virtue of hope consoles us. However, it occurs to me that God is calling us to identify as what I would call local missionaries in order to do what needs to be done. In the upcoming months, I suspect that inertia is going to be an obstacle for many of our brothers and sisters. We cannot be so naive as to think that all our fellow parishioners will simply flip a switch. Resetting our relationship with God will entail a game plan and require effort. Identifying bad spiritual habits in our lives is one thing. Seeking to overcome and replace them is another. In the next few weeks, I will roll out a proposal for our parish that invites us to work on several things together, such as prayer, fasting, and outreach. This will be only one possible method, not necessarily the best, but I believe it's a place where we will need to start. Here's an analogy I thought of to describe this. Do you have a small appliance in your kitchen that you wanted to get, but now that you have it, hardly ever gets used? Maybe it has sat in that same spot in the cabinet for a long time. What if we were dust to dust it off and use it regularly? It could make a part of your life and preparing meals go better. But to say that you have that particular device and ignore it is not helpful at all. Perhaps this year more than any other, the Christmas season can give us the momentum we need to make a brand new start. Like little Johnny with his wagon on Christmas morning, we are receiving a gift. What we do with it is up to us. Amen.